Many of you probably have walked the long and difficult road of finding a, a home church. It's not always easy, right? Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, he preached in Britain. In fact, uh, John Hopwood, who's watching at home online today, gave me a book called Gems of Spurgeon that I love to refer to every now and again. So hi, John. But Spurgeon had this great church, and, and a man came and said to Charles Spurgeon, I am looking for, quote, the perfect church, and I'm having trouble finding it. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon wrote of this moment, and he said he told the man, if you're looking for a perfect church, my church is not the one you're looking for. But if you should happen to find such a church, I beg you not to join it, for you'll spoil it. And that's the, the truth of it, right? As long as churches involve us people, you're not going to find a perfect one. But that doesn't change the fact that we need each other. We need a body around us in this world of suffering. As, as Peter talks about suffering in this fallen world, he talks repeatedly in this book about the importance of loving each other and serving each other and rallying around each other. Because like we said a few weeks ago, we need to know who's, who's got my six, right? First Jesus and then the, the body of Christ. We need each other in this suffering world. Last, last week, Pastor Aaron preached powerfully about how when we walk through suffering, we, we entrust our souls to a faithful creator. But I thought about the fact that, that we live in a, a world of battle, a world of warfare, and when you're in a battle, you, you need an army around you. And, and while on the one hand, the church is to be filled with the love of God for each other and the world, we can also be boldly ferocious against evil in the power of God. And if we're going to do that, we need an army. There's an old hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers Marching as to War. With the cross of Jesus going on before, Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banner go. At the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth flee. On then, Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voices loud, your anthems raise. We're in a battle in this world against spiritual forces of wickedness. And when you're in a battle, you need an army. And an army needs organization. And we're going to see some of the organization of God's church according to His plan this morning. He's going to talk about the elders in the church, as Paul referred to earlier. And he's also going to talk to the people in general in the church. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter 5. Verse 1, he's going to start out by talking to the elders. And first I want to show you Peter's platform that he's writing from. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now think about who's writing this. This is Peter. The Peter. Right? Spent three years with Jesus, went into some of the, the miracles that only him and James and John got to be a part of. 
experienced it all, failed him, then was restored by the risen Jesus. And at the beginning of the book, he has told us he's an apostle. But here, notice as he writes to the elders in these churches, he calls himself what? A fellow elder. I love that. Do you see the the humility versus how he, he could have come across? Where did that humility come from? I think what you see here partially is the humility of a man who who knows what it is to blow it. Right? Think about Peter's history. He he made this bold claim on the, the night of Jesus' arrest. Even if all the others run away, not me, Lord. His pride came to the top. And he had probably also been a part of that same group wrestling earlier about who was the greatest. I won't bail on you, Lord, even if they all do, but you you all know what happened. Three times, Peter failed his Lord, and then Jesus looked at him as the cock crowed. And many have wondered, did that stick with him every day for the rest of his life? Anytime he heard a rooster, did did his mind race back there? He had this humility that knew what it was to fall, but he also knew the grace of the Lord who restored him. So he doesn't say, this, this is Peter, the Peter. He says, I'm a fellow elder. I'm with you, leading the body of Christ. We're, we're on the same team here. Certainly not popish, as some have wrongly implied about Peter, right? You don't see that kind of elevation in Peter's mind. As a fellow elder, he writes them. And what's his purpose? He writes the elders and he tells them, the, the leaders of these local churches, shepherd the flock of God, that is among you, exercising oversight. Shepherd, if you spend much time in your Bible, from cover to cover, you can't get very far without reading about shepherds and sheep. Did you notice that? It's almost like in there so much you expect if you went like this that wool would fall out of here. It's like all over in here. And and sheep are the butt of many jokes. I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't share a couple of sheep jokes with you this morning. Like, How many sheep does it take to make a sweater? It depends on how many of them know how to knit. <laughs> As a farmer, I hear lots of jokes about sheep. I, I'd tell them to my dog, but he'd heard them all. <laughs> There's lots more out there. Just Give it a Google. But think about it in the Bible, right? Moses shepherded sheep for 40 years before he shepherded God's people. David spent years with the flocks before he became king of Israel. Psalm 23, many times in the Old Testament prophets, Jesus, the good shepherd, he says he's the shepherd that looks for the one lost Sheep, And then even Peter knew this firsthand after Jesus rose from the dead and, and he restored Peter on the beach. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Care for my flock. Feed them. It's all over. Psalm 100 verse 3. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And what does this picture mean for us? Well, it points to our need as people for God. That's what it points to. Sheep get lost on their own. They eat poisonous plants on their own. And while they're not totally without defense, they're certainly not at the top of the list of animals who are able to defend themselves. So 
They need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. We need God's care as a shepherd to guide us so we don't get lost, to to feed us, to make sure we're not eating the poisonous garbage this world sends our way and to protect us. We need a shepherd. And as you get into the New Testament, especially in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas go out, they start planting churches. And what you see is they appoint a team of elders in every church. And what these elders are, are under shepherds. Jesus is the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the true shepherd, and a team of elders is to care for his flock in these local churches. I'm blessed to work with four other elders here. Paul came up and read the scripture, and and last week when Aaron preached, I remember him saying that uh, he thought it was special that I allowed the elders to do that, and that it was I heard that. I'm like, man, it's a privilege for us. It's a privilege for me to lead with a team of guys that love the Lord. And it's a privilege for all of you uh, to hear from them as well. I'm thankful we have a team. But Peter's writing to the team of leaders in these different churches. And you may be tempted to check out if you're not an elder at a church. But I want to encourage you to stay in for, for a couple reasons. One... This will let you know what to expect of us as elders at at the church here, what God expects of us, what to look for. But like the message on husbands and wives, be kind of careful how much you amen and stuff because in just a minute, we're coming around to the people. So if you amen real loud during this section, you might hear Paul or or Bill amen later on. (laughs) But it's going to let you know what to expect, what God expects of leaders. Also, There are many ways people lead in the church, and there are applications of this, whether you're an elder or not. You can can take some things out of this, whether you lead a Bible study, whether you lead a Sunday school class, or you're part of leading the youth and the youth group. You lead your children at home. There are lessons that can be learned as leaders, God's heart for, for leadership. And often it contrasts with what our world tells us a leader is. So I want you to listen to God's heart for, for elders in the church, the, the particulars. And he gives us three not buts. Why do I say that? Because he'll tell us, not like this, but like this. And when I saw these not buts, I couldn't help but go back to when I was a little kid. I thought about my mom. I don't know if any of you had a mom that you're doing something, you get in trouble, and she would say, I'm going to jerk a knot in your butt. And I thought about these not buts. I always wondered, like, how do you do that? Like, <laughs> you know what it was? It was the early warning that, hey, you keep going down that path, you're going to get it spanked, right? It, that was her. I'm going to jerk a knot in your butt. These not buts are elders lead not like this, but like this. And I'll start with the first one, which deals with what elders serve from. What's in here? What, what will you serve from? He says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Now, what does that mean? It means not out of have to as much as want to. Okay? And I thought about where does the have to come from when we serve God? Whether you're an elder or you're serving Him in, in some other area. I thought about it. It comes from 
Sometimes when we think we have to serve to earn his favor, some people think that's how you get right with God in this world, by, by doing things for him, right? And that becomes a, a bitter, hopeless road because you, you have this deep sense inside that no matter what I do, I'm never good enough. And if that's why you serve God, if, if that's why someone pastors a church or leads a church or teaches a Sunday school class or, or whatever, you're missing it. But willingly, as God would have you, where's the willingness comes from, come from? It comes when you look at the cross and you say, I'm right with God because of what Jesus did right here. He died for me. He made me right with the Father. And all of a sudden, instead of trying to climb to God, I, I come to the cross because those are the two choices. You're either going to try to climb, which is impossible, or you're going to come to the cross. When you come to the cross, what happens? All of a sudden, whatever you do, you can serve Him with gratitude, right? Thank you for all you've done for me, and now you've called me to be a part of it. Thank you. Is that why you serve God? That, that's why elders are, are to serve God in the church, not under compulsion, but willingly. The second one, that was what you serve from. The second one is what you serve for. What's out here that you're serving for? He says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Paul said, filthy lucre. When I heard that version of it, I thought about the, the gangster movies on Home Alone. I haven't heard filthy lucre in a while. But he says, don't do it for shameful gain, but eagerly. What's he talking about? Is it wrong for elders and pastors to get paid? No. Elsewhere, Paul talked about this. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So it's not wrong for an elder or a preacher to get paid. The problem is not making money. The problem becomes when an elder starts to serve money. When he starts to make money his priority. I read a story this week about a true story about a medieval theologian that visited Rome. He visited the Pope in the Middle Ages, and the Pope took him to the Vatican. And he took him in where the treasury was, and, and the Pope took his hand and reached in some of the silver coins and let him fall through his fingers. And he, the Pope looked at him and said, no longer does the church have to say, silver and gold have I none. The theologian looked at him and said, that's true, but no longer can we say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I share that not because I believe God does a miracle in every situation, but the point I see in there is we lose power when we make money our priority instead of God. That's the problem. That's the shameful gain. He says, not for shameful gain, but, but eagerly. Arnold Flegel wrote about this, and he said that word eagerly means forward-leaning. And, and he gave the picture almost of a, a horse at a racetrack, just, just behind that gate that can't wait to, to, to run out of the gate. He says, you want to serve in the church? That's how you should serve, forward-leaning, like you can't wait. 
Like you can't wait. Why? Because you realize how special it is. I thought about it like this. Disney World, Disneyland. How, how magical that place is, especially for, for children. Right? But what if you had your kids there and, and you're walking and you got lost and you got behind some places back where employees were and you weren't supposed to be and you saw some of the people dressed up as characters. There are three of them. It's employees on break standing there talking. And your, your 10-year-old, <laughs> here's Mickey Mouse. And man, I worked 14 hours yesterday. This place is grinding me to the bone. This place stinks. And, and then they hear Cinderella. Like, I know it. I know it. And the boss said, we got to be here at 5.30 for a meeting tomorrow. <laughs> and then you hear Jiminy Cricket. I deserve a raise or I'm out of here. And you think about how that just totally would suck the magic out of that day for those kids, right? And, and I think about what a shame if, if elders get the same kind of attitude in the church. And why would that happen? That would happen if we ever lose sight of the fact that, listen, we get to care for part of God's flock. This flock here is God's. And when Paul talks about it in Acts chapter 20, and he's talking to the elders in Ephesus. He says, this is the flock of God that was bought with His own blood. That's what keeps this eagerness like, whoa. Whoa, this is God's flock. This is special. I get to be a part of this. The, the third thing he talks about is the form. What form does your leadership take? He says, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. Like Paul's translation said, not lording it over the flock. There should never be this high-mindedness because as Peter has told us in 1 Peter 2, we are all a royal priesthood. Every believer in Jesus Christ is a priest. Okay, there, there is no hierarchy of value. There are only different roles. That's why he says, not domineering. Not lording it over those in your charge, but, but being examples to the flock. There's a difference between driving cattle like a cowboy and leading sheep. Leading sheep, you get out in front and you take the steps and, and you pave the way. It's a different kind of leadership. And one man said that the, the picture the New Testament gives for leadership in the church is not some pompous, ivory tower churchman, but a shepherd out in the field with the sheep. That's the picture. In this last part, verse 4, he's talking to the elders. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I didn't know this about this verse until this week, but unfading crown of glory, that word unfading has to do with the flower, the amaranth. It was a flower they, they had back then. I don't know if we still do, but it would keep its bloom away from water for a long, long time. And if it started to shrivel a little, all you had to do was spray it. And, it, and so he used that as an analogy. This crown that, that will not fade. This crown of glory that's coming if you serve Him faithfully here. He says, look forward to that. 
When the going gets tough, look forward to that. And I love that verse because Liz here a couple years ago gave me a, a big old coffee mug with that verse on it. And I love it for a couple reasons because that verse is on there. And in the morning, it, it just keep your eyes on your calling. But I also love it because it's big. And I fill that thing with coffee twice every morning and once every afternoon. So wherever you're serving, keep your eyes on the prize. Okay? Think about where you're serving from, what you're serving for, and the form of your leadership, right? Now he's going to talk to the, the youngers and the, the church members in general. Younger because generally elders are older, either in age or, or maturity. Uh, but he's going to talk to the younger. And some translations say young men. ESV says just you who are younger. I do believe it involves everybody. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. I want to talk to all because women are an important piece of the church. Okay, one, one man put it this way. When the seeds of the church were planted, think of this. The pastor was executed as a criminal. The, the chairman of the board was cursing and swearing that he wasn't a part of it. The treasurer was committing suicide. Most of the rest of the board members had run away, but the only faithful ones there at the beginning were a few ladies from the women's auxiliary. Yeah. <laughs> right? Women, you are an important part of, of this body of Christ. Amen. <laughs> Amen. He said, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. We're coming back to that idea of order again. We've seen this in this book. God is a God of order. We talked about how whether it's the government, unless the government tells us to do something that goes against God's word, we submit to them. We talked about roles in marriage. We talked about employment. And now he's talking about the church. God is a God of order in the church. And it includes elders and elsewhere he talks about deacons who lead and people who follow that leadership. I think one thing that's happening in our world is, is respect for elders, whether it be age or leadership, is eroding. This idea of respect is going away. Sandy, who, who couldn't be with us this morning, told me a story that she was out at uh, Del Taco with Dave and Liz the other day. And Sandy called me because she couldn't believe what happened. There was a, a little elderly lady that could hardly pick up her, her tray. And Sandy walked over to help this lady get her tray to the garbage and then Sandy held the door for this lady. And as she held the door, she said two young men, must have been their 20s or 30s, just kind of pushed their way past her out the door. And then as if that weren't enough, they looked at this lady and said, you crippled old B-I-T-C-H. Sandy couldn't believe her ears. She said it took everything in her not to go off on these young men. She almost did. But then she continued to, to walk this lady out to her car. And as she did that, these same guys pulled their vehicle up and started honking. And you know what came to my mind? Number one, a sadness for what's happening in our world. But number two, you think about some of the things Jesus said. In the last days, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. 
And I've often saw that as an uh, equation, same on each side, because people get more wicked, the love of most will grow cold. I think that's some of it, but I also wonder, as wickedness increases, what happens? We start to look out just for ourselves. And we forget there are other people out there hurting as well. And, and it reflects itself in many ways, including this lack of respect for elders and authority. I want to talk to the young people in the room. Don't let that be you. Let that be you. I, after that, she told me that. I told my son I was so thankful when I picked him up at the school the other day. I saw him out there holding the door so some people could get out. Let that be the church. Let that be the young people in here. Show that respect to elders and, and teachers and, and leaders. But listen to what the author of Hebrews says to people in the church about following leaders in the church. Hebrews 13, 17. As obey your leaders... And submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who, who will have to give an account. Elders are going to stand before God someday as to how they led the church. So he looks at the people says, Obey them, submit to them, because they're going to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What does that mean? It means you're not doing anybody any favors by just being cantankerous in the church for the sake of being cantankerous. You're making everybody's job harder. <laughs> don't, don't do it. It doesn't make it better for you. It doesn't make it better for the elders because if the elders are groaning, there's a good chance you're going to feel it too. It, it, it clogs up the machine. Okay? Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now there are limitations to this. This does not mean everything one of the elders in a church says you necessarily have to follow, okay? You don't have to follow every opinion that comes out of my mouth or the elders' mouths. All of us have many opinions on many things. But what it does mean is when we faithfully preach the Word of God and pass that on, you are accountable to God to follow what God says. Let me talk to you about the limitations. Edmund Clowney put it this way, the elder presents the Word of the Lord, not his own decree. He enforces the revealed will of the Lord, not his own wishes. And he went on to say it's actually tyranny. If church leaders start to add to or subtract from the Word of God, they make themselves Lord over the consciences of others. So what am I saying? If we're faithfully presenting the Word, you're accountable to God to follow it. But anytime we veer away from that, you're accountable to God to go the other way. Okay? Now, what makes this work between leaders and people in the church? Go with me down a little further in the chapter. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Do you notice he didn't say that just to the people in the church? All of you. He's saying, hey, elders that I talked to earlier, that's you too. You need to have a humility that considers others more important than yourselves. Right? The, the word clothe yourselves, it's an interesting word in the Greek. It, it really means to, to tie something on like an apron. And you know what I believe Peter was envisioning? An upper room. 
where he saw Jesus Christ Himself, the Lord of lords and and King of kings, get up and tie a towel around His waist. And and it shocked Peter badly because Peter had been arguing with the other disciples about who's the greatest, right? Then here comes Jesus. I want to wash your feet. And Peter said, Finally, he gave in. And I don't think Peter ever forgot the the wetness on his feet in the sight of his Lord down there washing his his dirty, nasty feet. He he knew humility because his Lord modeled it. So now he's looking at at the church and saying, whether you're an elder or a deacon or someone who attends, clothe yourself with that kind of humility towards the others who go there. What is humility? Alan Stibbs helps us with this. It's a a lowliness of mind. Now you could go wrong directions with that. That doesn't mean you think you're some kind of worthless worm. Okay, what it means is you know who you are in Christ. Okay, He died for you. He made you a Christian, a, a follower. He seated you with Him in the heavenly places. So because you know that, You no longer have to operate in pride and dominance over other people. You are now free to serve them. You don't need to fight for all that anymore. The best leaders know how to serve. And it's not a feeling. He goes on to say, you're not commanded to feel humility or pray for humility. You're commanded to act it toward each other. Humility is an act. It's serving. It's being willing to to find out what someone else needs and and to go that extra mile to fit into their arrangements. Leslie Flynn wrote about this in a way that I think is helpful. Any carpenters in the room? No, Todd's not here. He talked about something called the Carpenter's Tools Conference. All the tools got together in the absence of the carpenter and had, had this talk. And First, all, all the other tools were talking about Brother Hammer. Brother Hammer should leave. He's just too noisy. Okay? And Brother Hammer said, no, nope, no, nope, Brother Scrooge the one that's got to go. You have to turn him around again and again and again just to accomplish anything. And Brother Screw says, nope, it's Sister Plain. She's got to leave. She has no depth. All her efforts are, are just on the surface. And Sister Plain says, no, Brother Ruler should leave. He's always trying to measure other people up and seems as though he thinks he's the only one who's right. Brother Ruler says, no, Sister Sandpaper. She, she's, the, she's the one that, that needs to leave. She's always rubbing people the wrong way. Then in walked the carpenter of Nazareth. He, he put on his apron and, and he went to work to build a pulpit from which to proclaim the good news. And he used every one of the tools. He used the hammer. He used the screw. He used the plane. He used the ruler, the sandpaper, and all the other tools along the way. And Sister Saul said, I see that all of us are workers together with the Lord. Right? And I think humility comes in the body of Christ when we realize, just think for a second, that we all need each other. We're, we're all in this together. We all bring something to the table that's needed in this body. You don't want to be proud. He goes on, the end of verse 5, he says, For God opposes 
the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And those are both ongoing verbs. You, you want to feel God working against you? You, you, you live in pride. You, you want to sense His grace flowing into your life? You live with humility. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. I, I think about under the mighty hand of God, I keep thinking about the Exodus. Often in the Old Testament, when God does a mighty deliverance, it's with His hand, right? And we've been reading the Exodus story from little Lukey's little picture Bible at dinner, and he always looks at Pharaoh. Pharaoh always looks, is that the mean king? <laughs> yeah, that's the mean king. We talked to him, is it a good idea to say no to God? No. Do you see the, the difference? Uh, God opposes the proud, Right? All that happened to Pharaoh and his people because of that man's pride versus the fact that as God's people cried out to him in humility, he heard their cry and he rescued them with his mighty hand. You got to think about which side of that equation do I want to live my life on? Humble yourselves. Samuel Bringle was a well-known doctor and somebody once introduced him as the great Dr. Bringle. He got up to speak and he said this. He said, the axe cannot boast of the trees it has cut down. It could do nothing but for the woodsman. The woodsman made it, he sharpened it, and he used it. The moment he throws it aside, it becomes only old iron. Oh, that I may never lose sight of that. That's humility. He realized who he was. Psalm 9. Carolyn and I have been reading a lot of the Psalms. You look around and see the corruption and the, the evil power brokers that are pulling strings in the world. And it, you like to think it's something new, but it's not. It's been going on for centuries. And David prayed about some that he was dealing with. And one of my favorite prayers about these people working their evil schemes against God. Psalm 920, he said, let the nations know that they are but men. I love that verse because what's he saying? He's saying, what, if you're out there walking in pride and raging against God, just stop and think for a minute that without the perfect blend of air that He's put all around you for you to breathe and without the heart that beats involuntarily that He's put in your chest... You are literally nothing. You are a man. You are a woman. He is God. Remind them they are but men. That's where humility comes from. And pride keeps us from a lot of things. I thought about four L's. Four L's that pride keeps us from. It keeps us from being lifted up by God. I got it, God. I, I got it. It keeps you from being lifted up by God. keeps you from being led where you need to go. I know what I'm doing, God. I don't need your word. I don't... It keeps you from learning. You know, some people live years and years and years, but there's a point in their lives where the learning just stops because pride goes up. It keeps you from being lifted up. keeps you from being led. keeps you from learning. 
And I think honestly, it keeps you from fully experiencing His love. Because why? You put up a wall. I said, I don't need you. I got this. Why not rather be humble? When we're humble, it enables us to do something. Any of you been feeling anxious in 2020? You liars. <laughs> when we're humble, it enables us to do something. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. See, when you're humble, you're okay with admitting, I can't handle this on my own. I need His help. And this word anxiety really means to divide. When we're anxious, when we're worried, we are divided in our hearts and minds. And it is impossible to focus wholly on the Lord. That's why Jesus says, don't. Don't worry. But some of us have believed the lie from the enemy that I'm helpless. When worry comes, I just got to roll with it. Listen, Jesus wouldn't tell his followers not to worry if they couldn't stop it. You want to know how? In his power, casting all your anxieties on him. That word casting is this very active verb. In fact, it was used at the, the Palm Sunday entry when people took off their cloaks and cast them on the donkey or on the ground. They, they took them off and they cast them. You have to be just as decisive with your anxiety and your worries. And you could do that today as a follower of Christ if you're drowning in them. You can make a choice in faith with His help and the power of the Spirit to take those off and cast them on Him. Because He cares for you. And I wonder, will you do it? Will you do it or will you walk out of here carrying them just like you wore them in? Will I do it? What, what, a, what an opportunity. Isaiah 26.3 You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Some of us need to make that choice to cast them off and get our minds stayed on Him again. To get back in here. To get back in prayer. To cast it on this God that cares for us. As I close, I wonder if anybody's like, that's a kind of a weird combination of verses. Like you start out talking about elders and people in the church and roles, and then you end up talking about humility and anxiety. And One thing I thought, like as, as elders, or if, if you're leading somebody, the best thing we can do as leaders is point you to the chief shepherd. Right? To point you to Jesus. What does Jesus say in John 10? My sheep know my voice. They follow me. They won't follow a stranger because they don't recognize His voice. So the best thing we can do is take you to His voice. To point you to Him. Because He's the chief shepherd. He's the true shepherd. He's the one where you can humble yourselves that He might lift you up. He's the one you can cast your cares on. We're just under shepherds. 
We saw this in a pretty tangible way a couple weeks ago. Aaron was talking to somebody in the lobby. Somebody had uh, shared Christ with them, told them about the church, and then moved to another place. And the guy told Aaron, hey, I feel like every time somebody points me to Christ or, or something like that, they end up moving or leaving or something ends up happening. And Aaron told me what crossed his mind and he wants to share with this guy. You know, maybe what God is trying to show you is that there's only one who is always there. There's only one who's there 24-7, 365. And His name is Jesus. And while we all need other people here in the body, we should never put our ultimate hope there. It needs to be in Him. I thought that was a wise insight. So what's this look like? This humbling ourselves and casting our anxiety on God. I want to share a real tangible example because maybe you got some humbling to do. Maybe you've got some anxieties to cast. How many of you have heard of J. Hudson Taylor? He lived 1832 to 1905. He founded the China Inland Mission. Led many folks in China to the Lord. And like Dr. Bringle mentioned earlier, one time, J. Hudson Taylor was introduced in these glowing, illustrious terms of all that he had done and who he was. And when he got up to speak, he started by saying, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. That's how he began his speech. As a man who knew what humility before the Lord was. But there were moments along the way where we also see anxieties being cast upon the Lord that, that led to His powerful ministry may not have been as powerful were it not for these moments. And I think we can learn from them. Go back to 1869, September 4th. He was on mission already, but he got a message from another missionary. This missionary was talking about what is faith? What does it mean to trust God? And in this letter that J. Hudson Taylor was reading, it said, it's not a striving to have faith, but a looking off to the faithful one. That seems all we need. A resting in the loved one entirely for time and for eternity. And J. Hudson Taylor said this. He said, as I read it, I saw it. Oh, I looked to Jesus, and when I saw, oh, how my joy flowed. That was a turning point. And his friends said they saw a difference after that in his ministry. Instead of staying up and working super late every night, he would go to bed earlier. Why? So he could get up at 5 a.m. every morning and pull out his Bible and pray. That was a turning point because he realized it's not about my striving in my own power. It's about looking off to Jesus. That was a, a casting off that changed his ministry. But it started years earlier when his mom did the same thing. Any of you have relatives that you pray for to come to know the Lord and you've been praying for years? Yes. You would relate to J. Hudson Taylor's mother. He was 17. His family was, was Christians and his dad, I believe, did some preaching. But he had not yet accepted the Lord. And his mom was on a road trip about 100 miles away from home and, and she felt led to, get, to leave the dinner table with her friends and go to her room and just pray. 
And she prayed for hours for her son to come to know the Lord. And when she told about it later, she said, I prayed until I knew it had happened. The moment she felt in her soul that he had accepted the Lord, she, she got up and went back to her friends. Two weeks later, she came home and she talked to young Hudson, 17 years old. He said, Mom, I was in Dad's study one day and, and I pulled out the, this tract that was in there that talked about the finished work of Christ. And as he tells it, he says the, the phrase from the Bible, it is finished was just emblazoned on his mind like it hit him powerfully. And, and he said this at that moment to, to himself and to the Lord. He said, if the whole work was finished and the whole debt paid, what is there left for me to do? And he fell to his knees and yielded to Christ. Mom got home a couple weeks later and he started telling her about it and she said, I know. <laughs> I think about both of those are powerful examples of someone who is used mightily of God because A, he cast his cares on the Lord, realized what faith is, and his mother casted her cares on the Lord. So as we close, I want to invite us to, to bow our heads, close our eyes, and I want to ask you, do you have any cares that you need to cast off this morning? I'm going to give you a moment or two just to talk with the Lord quietly on your own. Make that decision. Cast your anxieties on the Lord because He cares for you. Father, I, I pray for the church next door here this morning and online. As humans, we have a tendency to, to cast our cares on You for a moment and then pick them right back up. Help us by faith and in Your power to, to truly cast them on You. It doesn't mean we don't have things to do and things to think about and actions to take, but there's a heart attitude of trust that we need to make a decision about. Help us. We're weak on our own. Just to realize it's not our striving. It's that looking off to You, Jesus. So look to you, one who calmed the wind and the waves, one who rose from the dead and walked out of his tomb, one who's seated on high, just to cast our cares there. Father, our world is looking for people with peace, and we can't get it on our own. We need to cast those on you if we're going to live that way. Help us to stop being divided, distracted. Let's be wholly focused on You. That we might find peace. And I thank You for this church. What a, what a joy this body is to be a part of. Lord, I see so much love in, in the humility we talked about in the service. And, and it's a privilege. I pray that You continue to lead us, Jesus. You are our chief shepherd. Help us as a team of leaders to faithfully follow You and faithfully lead. Help us to focus on what matters to You and everything else, whatever's our own opinions, or to fall the wayside, Lord. Help us to follow You and help the, the folks in our church as, 
as we walk and explore together, that each one would know and discover their gift, their part, just like those tools in the carpenter's shop. Every one of your followers has an important part to play. And I thank you for the ways that's happening already and pray that that would continue to happen. Lord, last I pray if there is any pride in this room that you would knock it down. If there's anyone in this room that's been too proud to accept Jesus as their Savior, that your Spirit would invite them home today to, to humble themselves under your mighty hand and say, I need you. I need a Savior to lift me up. And for any of your followers, sometimes we get prideful. Help us to lay it down. We might be like our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.